Well, good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to our podcast here at St. Andrew's Community Church, a global Methodist congregation. We are glad to have you join us today, and when I say we, of course, that means more than just me. Let's start with the man behind the camera who is doing all the sound and everything else. Jeff, how are you doing today? Man, it's fantastic. Doing great. How about you guys? <laughs> you know, I'm doing really good. I, you know, it's it nice to get a little bit of rain yeah. last week, yeah. and oh, it was nice to walk out in the parking lot at the end of the day and not melt (laughs) that was nice uh pastor bonnie yes how are you i'm doing just fine i definitely did not wear this same sweater last week (laughs) okay yeah now now everybody knows if you watched last week you know josh gave away the secret that uh we are not live today so if you have questions you were wanting to uh have us answer we can't do that today uh jeff has a trip some continuing ed that he was going to and so we're actually recording this right after we recorded last week's and that's why bonnie and i are wearing the same clothes we were wearing she brought a different shirt i I thought you were gonna go put it on well it didn't make any i could have put on a robe (laughs) you could have have. so yeah yeah yeah, i i I could have exactly this is Paige. Paige. If y'all have not met Paige, Paige, introduce yourself because you're always off in other parts of the building and people may not have met you. Yeah, so my name is Paige Lerman and I am the new college minister here at St. Andrews and I also serve as the youth associate minister. So I spend a lot of time with them leading Wednesday nights and also Sunday mornings and it's been a great time so far. And so for those that haven't met you, Josh kind of gave an introduction last week. He gave you some cred that he's never given me. He called you an expert in apologetics. I don't know if I would give myself that title. I am definitely obsessed with apologetics. So I do have a bachelor's degree in apologetics from Oklahoma Baptist University that I received in December of 2019. A December grad, was that... A semester early or a semester late? Semester late, okay. because I actually originally came in as a biology major, switched to math, and then decided in my junior year to double major in math and apologetics. She's very smart. She is so, very smart. Um, and, and then you went to OU and got yes. a master's, I believe, Yes. in mathematics. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if it'd be like... Math and analytical systems of quantum theories, you know. No, I did the more abstract stuff, so none of the applied, like, at all. And currently, you're still a student. I am. So, I'm going back to school for seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary, where I will be getting a Master in Theology degree. And um, that's just kind of like an MDiv with, like, some extra languages tacked on, and then I can choose about 20 to 30 hours where I just kind of specialize in a very specific discipline. So they have apologetics as one of the options, but they also have systematic theology, biblical languages, different types of ministries. So how do you choose? Uh, Honestly, (laughs) it's a little (laughs) overwhelming. Yeah, well, we're so glad to have you as part of the staff here at St. Andrews. I know my daughter just thinks you're awesome. (laughs) And uh, we're glad to have you as part of the podcast today. I think things look a lot better today than they usually do, and they'll look even better if I'm gone and Josh is sitting here. So uh, let's dive into it. We've been in this uh, series that we're preaching and using for our podcast on the Apostles' Creed, and last week... 
we hit the part of the creed that I could not wait to dive into, primarily because it is something that I believe personally, but it's not something that we have said in our 30 years at Mm -hmm. St. Andrews as part of the creed. And that is a phrase that after Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended to the dead. And so I was asked last week, and you know, and again, I've just given my kind of uh, preference. I think that's something we should say in the creed. What do y'all think? I definitely think it's something that we need to say in the creed. I, I this is part of um, part of the creed that really is my favorite part um, because um, I just to me it it goes to show just how willing um, God was able to go. For, um, mm-hmm. for his people and for his creation. So I think it's so cool. I, I, I remember when we used to go to First United Methodist Church, Josh and I um, were going there before we got married. Uh, we got married Oklahoma there. City. Yeah, downtown Oklahoma City. Um, and they had descended to... Oh, they dead. used They that. did. Awesome. They, well, yeah. They were kind of honored there. Um. Well, <laughs> if you look in the United Methodist Hymnal as it currently is, it's got the Apostles' Creed. I think it's called Traditional which is kind of what we use, yeah. but then it has the Apostles' Creed ecumenical, mm-hmm. which is includes the phrase descended, descended to, the dead. to the dead. Yeah, yeah. So I think I really like You're it. You're all in. I'm all in. So, what do you think, Paige? <laughs> I am too. I grew up in the Lutheran church, and we said the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, and mm-hmm. so by the time I was 10, I had that thing memorized. And um, I, I like kind of the tradition of this is what's been handed down to us. And I mean, this is what our brothers and sisters in the early church decided were the important things of our faith. And I believe that we're called to be the body of Christ, not just with all people in the time that we're in presently, but with all of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all for continuing that tradition and honoring that these people were spirit led, Mm -hmm. um, biblically guided. And I think that we should implement all of the things that they thought were important because they got it from the Holy Spirit and Scripture, and so right. I'm all for continuing it. Right. I, you know, again, I actually the first time I even considered this question, I think I was in high school. I may have been in college. Mm-hmm. I shared this in the sermon, and I just had the question because I think about faith. I, you know, I, I know y'all think about faith. I think that's something we should all do is we should think about our our faith. And I remembered thinking the creed jump from buried to resurrection. And there's always a question, what was going on during that time after Jesus was buried? And and the way that I asked it when I was a teenager was, where did Jesus go when he died? And for me, I saw two options. One, Mm -hmm. we have somebody, a person of faith die. We say they go to heaven. Mm -hmm. So is that what Jesus did? Or how could Jesus go to heaven and pay for our sin up there, you know, in the clouds and all the glory. Didn't he have to go down into the earth, into hell? And those were the two options that I yeah. saw. Uh, and so I began to ask people, and, you know, none of us had any answers. But as I continued to think about this over the years, the third option then was there was someplace else that Jesus could have gone, uh, not heaven or hell. What would he call that pl- place? The Catholic Church has a doctrine of purgatory, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea is in purgatory, you, that's where your sins are purged. That's the idea of it. And that's why you pray for those who have died, is to pray them out of the suffering and torment 
of purgatory. Uh, and if we don't do that, there's a chance, you know, they could go to the smoking section of eternal life if that's what goes on. In our Wesleyan sensibilities, that doesn't really fit. Yeah. Because we believe that the price for our sins was purged through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Mm-hmm. Wesley uh, rejected the Roman Catholic idea of purgatory, but he also didn't have a full explanation of where people go when mm-hmm. they die. So he used the term paradise. The third option, Jesus is on the cross, the repentant thief, today you will be with me in? Paradise. Paradise. Mm -hmm. So if the thief was going to go to paradise because that's where Jesus was, then that seems to fit in terms of scriptural language. Mm -hmm. So uh, the question is, uh, where's paradise? And in the Psalms we find, I think it's in Psalm 139, uh, it says, where can I go to escape your presence, O God? If I go to heaven, you're there. Yeah. If I go to Sheol, yes. yeah. which the Hebrews thought of as the place of the dead, yeah. that he descended into Sheol, which some people also, I think Tennant says this in his book, Sheol and paradise are pretty synonymous really? with each other. Okay. So, you know, in- interesting yeah. stuff. So those were the, the three options that I thought. Um, the thing Tennant talks about in this book is what did Jesus do when he was there? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it said, the first thing Tennant writes is, well, Jesus went down there to preach. <laughs> what are y'all yeah. thoughts about that? I mean, Jesus preached a lot. He did, he did some preaching. He was known to, to do some preaching. So it makes sense <laughs> that he pretty, might. Pretty good preacher, yeah. Pretty good preacher, um, did some preaching. So it makes sense that he would, would go there and preach um, and let um, those who came before know that everything's changed. Right, and, um, and that so. was the idea was that the reason he descended was to preach to those who had not been able to believe in him and have eternal life. Yeah. And so he was preaching so that they might have opportunity to do that. So, Paige, is that anything that you have studied? Do you have anything that's like, okay, this is where I get uncomfortable, or no, this is why this makes sense? You know, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so I learned a little bit about this in my history and doctrine class with my professor called um, Dr. Matthew Emerson, and he actually wrote a book on this, and he gave me just a very brief snippet of what he believes, is that he believes that the land of the dead, Sheol, is split into the place of the righteous dead and the place of the unrighteous dead. (laughs) And what the Orthodox tradition of Christianity believes as well is that Jesus didn't just have a human body. He also had a human soul. Mm-hmm. And so the divine nature of God didn't take the place of a human soul. Rather, he still had that full human nature. And back in the early church, if you disagreed with that, you were wrote, written off as heretic. But um, I definitely believe in that because I think it creates some continuation between the man who died and the man who rose again from the dead is mm. that it still one incarnation and i like that a lot and so then the question is okay where did the human soul of jesus go right so what what happened to jesus between the crucifixion and the resurrection exactly and then so he descends into the land of the dead Mm -hmm. and i think now i believe that the atonement so why jesus died and what he accomplished is a multifaceted gem and i think one of those is what people like to call the christus victor and so i think Mm -hmm. it was to go down and to preach to the people who were there but also to proclaim victory yeah Mm -hmm. over sin and And death coming coming death yes since the resurrection was still to come at that point 
but there's still the expectation that because sin has been conquered death will be conquered as well and so he went down and proclaimed to the souls his human soul was there too still united to the divine nature and then he proclaimed victory there and what he had accomplished the crushing of sin and the soon to be the crushing of death as well with the full resurrection Mm -hmm. so the the second point Tennant makes in his book is he he talks about what is called the harrowing of hell I have never heard mm-hmm. that phrase before reading the book. Have y'all heard it? Yes. You have? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I had not. The harrowing of hell. And and the idea that I got, the image I got that at least I could grasp my mind around, even if I'm wrong, it worked for me, was that uh, it's like, okay, tells you the kind of movies I watch. It's like when Rambo is, Rambo 2 to be exact, Do you know when Rambo? he goes back to Vietnam. Yeah, you weren't probably even born when that wonderful violent movie came out Sylvester Stallone with <laughs> he, he goes back to hair. Vietnam to look for POWs mm-hmm. to bring them out with him that's the image I get that Jesus went to the place of the dead Jesus descended to hell so that he could bring souls out and yeah. one of the uh, it, when, when we do a service of uh, a funeral memorial service part of the liturgy is when jesus said uh, i hold the keys of hell and death now Mm -hmm. i i really like that because there's a song y'all probably have never heard it um but the guy said that uh jesus went to hell and you know he whooped the devil you know because that's always a good fun way to sell records is to say he whooped the devil uh, and and he sure. looks at the devil and says, "Give me the keys, please," because uh-huh. uh, you know Jesus would be polite. And <laughs> give me the the keys that Jesus said, "I have the keys of hell and death. Mm-hmm. If you are locked up in death, I can set you free. I can lead you out of this place." Which sounds consistent with the idea that Jesus descended to the place of the dead to harrow the people out of hell you are grabbing a book that you bought like you're getting ready to read for us or say da you idiot keep your song let me tell you the truth here this is for the you're resurrection expert. this you're, is for the resurrection this the, is for something this isn't for the, the har- i'm all over the resurrection but we're not there yet okay so the harrowing of hell i mean i don't know about y'all but that just gives me hope yeah you know that that to me that is is good news before the best news yeah. is Jesus has come, uh, whether it's in paradise or Sheol, the place of the dead, wherever that is, he came to get us out of that place. Mm-hmm. He, he did not want people to stay there with the idea that that's eternal separation from God. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, comment on that so I can take a drink. By the way, this is Johnny Bench. I know that y'all are wondering, since Josh is not here with the bobblehead, I felt the need to bring Johnny Bench. Uh, he has descended among us mere mortal Cincinnati Reds fans uh, so that he might be His head the greatest catcher bobble. of all time. He, he doesn't bobble. He doesn't bobble. He's kind of dusty, though. I haven't dusted <laughs> in a while. <laughs> um, so I've also heard that, um, that part of the reason that Jesus descended to to the dead, to the place of the dead, or descended to hell, as some some um, translations or some uh, parts of the creed say, um, was so that he could fully experience 
um, the entirety of the the punishment for sin. Okay, so that fits what you said uh, in your sermon. Yeah. That. Well, I actually have that script here since we uh, were doing it. <laughs> last week. We <laughs> that, did this last uh, week. There is no element of our mortality that Jesus has not shouldered. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's an option. That's, um, but yeah, that's. I think that that was one that you hadn't commented it on yet. So, um, I just thought that was neat. Yeah, you know, one of the things, again, this, I can intellectually get you know get my mind around the idea he descended to the dead Mm -hmm. that that made sense to me when i was searching for an answer to the question what i really hadn't thought through and this is where tenant's book challenges me is why that matters yeah you know again when when i was a teenager my thought was how could jesus go to heaven and pay for our sin because that's not where sin is paid for yeah Um, Mm -hmm. you know again that's where i i was at the time but when you read tenant's book it's really it suggests that the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross took care of the problem of sin. Yeah. That So that's probably why we don't think of this. Yeah. But for those that came before Jesus, it... What about it, them? It, it, it does mattered. God still and, care and about it, them? It yeah. does matter yeah. for us, but when people ask the question, you know, well, what about those people that lived before Jesus? Yeah. Well, we think that historically, traditionally, the church has said... This is what Jesus did when he died. Yeah. He, he didn't just lay in the ground. He went somewhere and did some work. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Y'all just aren't really being chatty <laughs> today. Uh, Josh is sitting over behind the camera laughing at us. But uh, descended into the dead. You know, we do, we do want to hear your response. Do you think this is something that we should do in the creed? My bias is yes. Both of you are biased. Yes. Josh is We over need there. somebody who's like, no. No, this is wrong. This shouldn't be there. We need we need that person. Somebody would argue that, and I, when Josh asked last week, you know, are we going to put this in the creed afterwards? Yeah, I yeah. said, well, I, you know, I want to gauge the congregation. It's not trying to do the popular thing. That's not what I'm looking yeah. for. I'm looking pastorally to see if somebody really has a problem in their spirit with saying something that they're not used to. Okay. Do you think that that's descended to the dead implies a belief in purgatory? In my sensibilities, it does not. Okay. But I can see how other people believe it does. And the reason that it doesn't for me is, again, my understanding of purgatory, and and I'm not a Catholic, I'm not a recovering Catholic or anything like that. My sister's Catholic. Mm -hmm. Uh, She converted from Methodism. but the idea of purgatory is a place that we got to pray people out there because they're still suffering down there. Mm-hmm. I, I do not think that paradise is a place of suffering. Yeah. And the Episcopal church, uh, an Episcopal priest, when I was doing campus ministry, we were talking about this. And as Episcopalians, you know, like Catholic church, okay, broke away, Church of England, Anglican church, Episcopal church, and Methodism came off of that. He said, we stopped short of purgatory, too. Yeah. But the phrase that they use, and I always love this, is we believe people are in the nearer presence of Christ when they die. Okay. That because the kingdom of God has not yet been fully consummated, we're not where we're going to be. No, yeah, yeah. But we are nearer to Christ on the other side of this life than we are in this life. Okay. That Does that makes make sense? sense? Yeah. 
Yes, that okay. makes sense. So if he, and, and this is one of the reasons I believe we need this in the creed, if he descended, yes, then resurrection clearly points out he ascended. Yes. I think, and I don't remember what scripture that is, but it says, how can we say that he ascends unless he first he did descend. descended? Yeah, yeah. And so the third day, whoo, boy, this just gets me every time. I never get tired of this. This is the most glorious part of the creed. The other stuff is good. This is a wham, bam, mm, part of the creed is the third day he arose from the dead. He did not stay dead. He conquered death and the grave. But and he was really dead. He was really dead. He was not nearly dead. He was not merely dead. He really was sincerely dead. Sincerely dead. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. It's just like when I say lions and tigers and bears. Oh you, my. Exactly. Yeah. See, there we go. There's just some things you have to know. So the resurrection, the greatest thing about this is this is an eyewitness event. People saw Jesus die. Mm-hmm. And then they saw him alive. alive. Yeah. Last week in midweek, uh, Josh talked about Thomas, who is called the doubter, because when they said, hey, we saw Jesus, he's like, yeah, I doubt it, until he did. And he believed. Yes. And the word was, blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. Mm -hmm. So what do y'all think about the resurrection? Paige got a whole book over there. <laughs> Come on. Share, share those burning thoughts with us. Oh, I have a lot. Do you want me to talk about the apologetics behind the resurrection and why we can be confident? Do we want to talk about resurrection theories like the swoon theory? And We can. Yeah, we, we've done that, but go ahead. Lay out for us. Remember, I am watching the clock, so Jeff will, you know, if he's like this. And mm. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep Quinta. it concise. So there's an apologetic methodology that is kind of used to try to find common ground with non-believers, so people who think that the Bible may not be reliable. Because okay, yeah. And, and let me just interrupt. This is great because we're all in the church. We believe this stuff. Exactly. But your interest is people outside the church. Mm -hmm. The number of people of your generation didn't grow up in church where my generation did grow up in church. Yeah, or they're scrolling on TikTok and they find people like Bart Ehrman who um, teach New Testament scholarship at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and he's a non-believer. And he says that, you know, the scriptures are unreliable. They were written decades after the fact, um, and it was just stories embellished over time, and we can't trust it, and it has conflicting details and things like that. And personally, I disagree. And I think there's been spectacular scholarship that has been done specifically by Tim and Lydia McGrew, who are both philosophers. They're stunningly brilliant. And Lydia McGrew has actually written several books about what we call the undesigned coincidences in scripture. And what that means is she takes the Gospels and she sees how the finer details actually answer questions that another gospel brings up or even acts mm -hmm. and just kind of connects things. Give, give us really an example of an undefined coincidence. Undesigned coincidence. So there's a ton <laughs> out there and I'm still doing a lot of research. I, you're talking so fast. I'm listening slow. <laughs> Sorry. Um, she's there's They've done a ton of research on it. I'm still kind of in the middle. But one thing that I thought was really interesting is... So in the Gospels, we know about what happens with John the Baptist. <clears throat> Excuse me. And 
So we kind of get these details about what happens in Herod's court. And then also when Jesus is on trial, we get the details of like the conversations and things that went on. And so the question is, how did they know? How did Mm -hmm. the disciples who were writing the gospels know what happened in these events? Because they weren't really around for what happened with John the Baptist. And then when Jesus is on trial, sure, John is sticking around, but everybody else peaced out Mm -hmm. when he got arrested. And so... But the women, the question the is, women didn't. The women didn't. But the question is, how does how does how do they know? And there's actually a woman who's referenced twice in all of the Gospels, and it's a very throwaway throwaway mm-hmm. kind of comment. And her name is Joanna, mm-hmm. and we know that her husband worked in Herod's court. Right. And so, because she's a female follower of Jesus yeah. who has supported his ministry, has been really close with the rest of the women followers and consequently, most likely the disciples as well, then her husband also has a lot of connections. And so since he's in Herod's court, yeah. likely witnessing what is happening or at least in close contact with the people who are witnessing, then he can get the account of what happened yeah. during these events back to the disciples so that when they're writing the gospels, they actually know what's going on. But there's a ton of other just like fine details, just throwaway Mm -hmm. comments that answer questions raised in other gospels. And it's not like, oh, this all happened in Luke and he just explains it all together. No, Luke says something and then Mark says something in a completely different event Mm -hmm. that somehow gives us a detail that hints at how this question can be answered. And so what this does is it actually kind of bolsters the witness of the Gospels. So coupled with the fact that archaeological evidence profoundly corroborates the stories in the scriptures and that these Gospels align in unanticipated and unintentional ways shows that these people were intentional about detailing real events. They weren't trying to make things up. They weren't trying to embellish the story. They were trying to be faithful to the best of their ability to what they remembered. Now, I personally believe in the inerrancy of scripture. This argument doesn't necessarily get us all the way to inerrancy, but what it does indicate is it does indicate that the gospels are reliable, trustworthy accounts of what happened in the life of Jesus. And not just in the life of Jesus, but also what happened in the resurrection, what the disciples went through, what they saw and things like that so i yeah, think let, let me interrupt so you can catch your breath <laughs> because part, part of what those arguments are those aren't necessarily arguments for the reality that he resurrected from yeah, the dead yeah. those are arguments for the reliability of scripture and right and if i'm understanding right joanna's narrative hearing from her husband th- those are part of what we call the internal evidence exactly Mm -hmm. but they're like with tacitus and josephus Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. external in other words there are sources outside of the bible that also testify to the resurrection of jesus yes yeah so um that's one way is to look at the witness and then i like to kind of I'm what they call um, a cumulative case kind of person. So what I like to do for the truth of Christianity is compile all the evidence that we have and say the best explanation for everything is Christianity Mm -hmm. or the best explanation for the data is the resurrection. So you can do this general or specific. And so what I like to do is let's look at the internal evidence. Let's support the reliability of the scriptures, but then let's also look at the external evidence because the more facts we have on our side, the better our case is, Mm -hmm. the stronger it is, the more appealing it is. 
And so I also like to look at what they call the minimal facts argument. And that was created by a man named Dr. Gary Habermas. And he is a phenomenal scholar, probably the leading expert on the resurrection of Christ, if we're being honest. He's about to release a 6,000-page book detailing all of the information that he knows about the resurrection of Christ. It's phenomenal. And so I've loved listening to him. And so this just kind of is an approach that's like, all right, if the skeptics want to be skeptics and they want to be skeptical about every piece of information we throw at them, let's find out what we can agree on. And then let's use the facts that we can agree on to prove that still the best explanation for the events is the resurrection. So there's at least 12, but I'm not going to take us through all 12 because we don't have time. I think what you're doing, you know, and I'm trying to help you synthesize this a little bit. Mm -hmm. I had to use a big word because you're using lots of them. So the... (laughs) The, the cumulative effect is we don't just take what the Bible says about the resurrection. We mm-hmm. do have to take the extra biblical stuff, if I can use that term, because what we're trying to find is the truth. But when you put all the evidence together and ask, what is the one logical conclusion mm-hmm. based on the evidence is that the biblical accounts of the resurrection are are in fact testament to the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read something on Facebook last week. Actually, I read it today, but you know, since this is a week later, I thought I'd say last <laughs> totally week. Totally last week, yeah. <laughs> and, totally. And, and, and I, I got lost in my joke. I can't remember <laughs> what I was going to say. It, 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 so that's what, what was I going to say? <laughs> it was really somewhat brilliant for me. You read something on Facebook. I read, I read something on Facebook. That's you me. can always believe what you... Oh, it was a faith... That has been constructed in Jesus can never be deconstructed. Okay, Ooh. now, yeah, that was okay. my response because yeah, you, like you kind of want to hit like, but you're kind of like, no, I got to think of this uh, because some people have faith and they lose faith. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like it for that reason. So, okay, Jeff is showing us that we are near the end of people's lunch break. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, man. So if people want to know more about the resurrection, uh, come to church and hear that sermon. Or, as you can well tell, sit down, get to know Paige, <laughs> let her explain. And I can tell you, based on my experience, that when she explains, she always does this. <laughs> so <laughs> we have a, a lot going on. When the claws come out, in, you know uh, she's serious. Here at St. Andrews, this Saturday at 9 o'clock, out in our parking lot, whether. Uh, permitting we do have sleep in heavenly peace once again we will be constructing beds to give to children that do not have beds to sleep in we're just a couple of weeks away from fall fest and we need candy and we need people and we need candy uh and we want you to spread the word and we need candy is am i covering everything that we need i just want to point out that i think we need candy we're still looking for some candy okay very good okay uh fall fest again our birthday party was for us fall fest is a party we're throwing for the community so invite people get them here we want to meet them we want them to connect with saint andrews and know that we're a safe place uh and of course worship every sunday nine o'clock 10 30 uh nine o'clock or more uh traditional style of worship and 10 30 is you know 
it's really just kind of a normal service in most churches now, even though we might call it contemporary. So, Paige, thank you for sitting again. This yeah, will thank you for not me. be the last time you do this. For Pastor <laughs> Bonnie, me. for Jeff, and the Joker in the corner laughing at us, Pastor Josh, <laughs> uh, God bless you. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.